I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I think it's fantastic that as a society, we're all becoming more conscious of protecting our planet. That might be through protecting endangered species, greening our cities, or minimising waste. In my own garden, I like to protect the planet as best I can. I avoid single-use plastics like fleece, for example. I use integrated pest management where you only control pests and diseases if you really have to. I grow cover crops to protect the soil. And also, I like to produce heavy yields of good quality stuff that, all other things being equal, should have a lower environmental impact than supermarket food. And saving produce is what we're going to be exploring today, whether that be storing our homegrown harvest for the winter. People like me will have so many vegetables, you won't be able to eat them all or cook them all now. And although you can give them away, it's quite nice to actually think about storing them really well to use over winter. Or reducing our water use. Mulch works really well when you've got really large particle sizes, so things like wood chip that drain really fast and allow the water to go straight through and reach the soil underneath. And then it sort of acts as that capping layer. This is Gardening with the RHS. I'm Guy Barter. Today we're all about saving, saving, saving. We're starting today by heading to my favourite spot, the allotment. This time of year is great for us fruit and veg growers as we're inundated with lovely fresh produce. But sometimes there's just so much that we don't know what to do with it. Even after decades of vegetable growing, I still have some gluts to deal with. So this year, the pumpkins and the cucumbers have gone mad and I've really at my wits end to know what to do with them. On the other hand, the French beans are really not very good. But fortunately, there's enough other things like tomatoes and sweet corn that I'm not going to go hungry. Luckily for us, designer Jack Wallington is here to help. He's another proud allotmenteer and he's been spending time recently getting his food stored for the winter. Here he is with his top tips for where to start. Recently I've been harvesting lots of fruits. So we're coming into autumn, uh, so it's the end of summer. It really is the bumper time for crops. So loads and loads of raspberries. I have lots of autumn raspberry plants on the allotment so I'm harvesting those every week lots of apples are starting to ripen and then lots of absolutely tons of vegetables <laughs> I've got like, as every garden around the country right now has an abundance of courgettes squashes beans that are still going I've still got lots of French beans lotti beans are just now ready to harvest and to dry store I planted a a new large herb bed a couple of years ago and that's really come into its own this year so we, we have so many herbs I need never buy them again 
terms of storing, most people like me will have so many vegetables, you won't be able to eat them all or cook them all now. And although you can give them away, it's quite nice to actually think about storing them really well to use over winter. So you actually have a taste of tomatoes or fresh greens over winter. So ways that I do that are generally green crops, like green French beans. I grow a lot of them because they're really strong growers, crop in abundance, and so you get a really good return for beans against your, the amount of seeds that you plant and time invested. So that's a really good one. And they're really easy to store frozen. All you have to do is clean them and then blanch them in boiling water for about a minute or so. But once you blanch them, you then run them under cold water immediately after putting them in the boiling water for a minute. Then dry them off by dabbing them with some kitchen towel. And then you can store them, and I store them in small freezer bags to about a, a portion per bag. You could always store them in larger clumps, but at least that way it's each of those portions I can then take out for me and my partner to have with a meal as you as you would buy in the shop, but you've grown them yourself. And then you can all through winter have that taste of fresh green veg. And I do that with lots of greens actually. And then going into winter, you can continue to do it with things like Brussels sprouts and anything else that's slightly firm. So it's a good way of storing them. Other things like bellotti beans I really love because they're so easy. You don't have to do anything with them. You just grow them like a French bean and then they dry on the plants or you can pull the plants up and hang it upside down in your shed to dry with the beans on. And when the pods are crispy, you can just break the pods open and you get the dried bean and you store them in a, a glass jar in a cool, dark cupboard and you can then dip into that store of bellotti beans. And they're really beautiful, so it looks really ornamental. So I love having them in the cupboard for that reason, as well as the taste of them, which I like. And of course, beans and pastas are really good for you. So that's one of the easiest ways of storing things. The same, you can do that with herbs as well. So you can, although you can pick lots of evergreen herbs like rosemary and sage all through winter, you can also dry all herbs so easily. I mean, you see them in shops and think it's complicated, but all you have to do is pick a bunch tie it with a bit of twine upside down, store in a cool, dark cupboard like a garage or or a shed or anywhere where they're safe from... And it has to be very dry so they don't go mouldy. And then when they get dry, you can store them in a glass jar again and you can then have dried herbs all through winter. Some crops I find, particularly in the south of the country, things like parsnips and carrots, I just leave in the ground and pull them out as and when I need them. So... In a way, my allotment is a larder over winter, and that's I've also got the winter crops. So winter salads, I leave outside with fleece covering them uh, just to protect them from the harshest frost, but they continue growing outside in the south of the UK. Other crops that people probably have a lot of right now will be tomatoes and chilies. Chilies can be dried, so all you have to do is tie them up with a bit of twine as well. Uh, you can actually thread a bit of cotton through all the chilies and just hang them like a necklace, somewhere, even wear them if you want to. But you can hang them in a cool, dark cupboard until they go dry and then you can use those in cooking. Tomatoes, you can dry them on a very low heat in the oven to get your sun-dried tomatoes. But what I do with my excess tomatoes is turn it into a, a chutney. I really love tomatoes. And you can actually, even the ones that don't ripen in time, you can make a green tomato chutney, which is absolutely delicious. It's so much sweeter and tastier than it, you would imagine it would taste. So I really recommend that. I've mentioned all of the ideal places. So I think lots of the guidance in books and online say to store your vegetables in a garage or a cool cellar or a cool pantry. I live in a tiny one-bed flat in the centre of London and I don't have any of those things. <laughs> um, so it's a real challenge. And I think what you have to do is try and get to as close as you can to those ideal 
situation. So we, we, I use a cupboard under our stairs a lot, which isn't ideal at all. It's never quite cool enough to store vegetables properly and they just don't last as long in there. But you know what? It works to a degree and that's the best that I've got. So it's what I'm going to use. And you just have to keep checking the vegetables just to check over your prized possessions and give them a pat and a stroke and just check that they haven't got any problems there. I think it's really important to store your veg properly and not waste it. One, because you've invested so much time in growing it and, and you've got all that lovely produce, which is so fresh and nutritious and better than what you can get in the shops. I think also it's important because, although it seems like it might seem like a chore to some people, it, it actually, to be fair, it does to me. I don't particularly enjoy storing food or the thought of it. But once I get into the process, I find it quite heartening and wholesome. And it just feels like a good activity. And it's definitely one that's made better by by not storing veg alone so try and rope in friends and family to help you store it because it's it just cuts the time down and it becomes an activity for the family to do so i think it's nice and it's just really reassuring i find to open that cupboard and see chutney that i've made but lotti beans are dried the herbs and everything and it's so rewarding it's good for the soul as much as it is for our stomachs the other key thing which i find really important is just that we're we're in this time of climate crisis where our planet is under so many stresses and one of the best things people can do across the whole world is reduce waste because I think and there's so many stats that almost half of all food around the world is wasted and if we could just cut that down then the planet would be under so much less stress so actually every little bit that we do to store grow and store our own food uh, will make a difference every single meal that you don't throw away makes that difference so I think for all of those reasons it's a really good thing to do. Jack Wallington. Like every other grower, I've got stuff to store. My garage will be full up with cabbages that I hang from strings from the ceiling. And my shed at the bottom of the garden will have big rat-proof dustbins full of potatoes. And I'll have boxes of apples carefully rat-proofed with wire mesh. But happily, here in the south and with a pure sandy soil, a lot of stuff can be just left in the garden and gathered as I need it. In case there's a hard frost, I'll dig a bucket of leeks and pull a few celeriac and swedes each week and leave them by the back door. But by and large, because it's such a mild area, I don't have the same problems. Gardeners in North America or Germany have things called root cellars, which sounds really a lot of fun, where all their produce is stored underground because the frost in these places can penetrate as much as four foot or even deeper into the ground. It sounds horrendous. As Jack mentioned, it's so important that we reduce food waste. Home composting is one of the best ways to make good use of kitchen and garden waste that could otherwise end up in landfill. If you fancy composting at home, there's really nothing easier. You simply need a bin, ideally two bins. It can be any sort of bin. You can get purpose-made plastic ones or you can make them out of old pallets. And ideally you have two bins and they should be at least one cubic metre capacity. And you fill one in dribs and drabs as fast as you can. And when it's full, you leave it to rot down and you start filling the other one. By the time the second bin is full, the other one will have rotted down and you'll have compost, brown crumbly material that you can spread on your garden, dig in to improve the soil and generally improve your garden in all sorts of ways. Don't worry if it's a bit twiggy and a bit nondescript compared with the compost that you see on television or in books. In real life, compost is never quite as beautiful as that, but it is still very, very valuable for improving your garden. 
Rats are a huge problem, especially to those of us who live in towns. In those cases, either reinforce your compost bins with fine rat-proof mesh or recycle your food through the municipal food waste bin. That recycled food waste goes to an anaerobic digester where it's turned into methane to provide energy to generate electricity or add to the natural gas supplies. Now, have you ever wondered whether you're taking care of your plants in the most sustainable way? Water is an invaluable resource in our gardens and it's important to think about how we're using it. Our resident water scientist Janet Manning spoke to gardening advisor Rebecca Mealy about how to save water without making your greenery suffer. So this time of year we've kind of, I don't know about you, but I'm quite bored with watering, but why should we now be thinking about saving water and actually preparing for next year and on how we could water better? Well, like you say, Becky, it's just hard work, isn't it? Being out there and constantly having to water things in heat waves. And unfortunately, we seem to be breaking lots of weather records recently. We've had the hottest and driest May ever. Last year, we've had the hottest day ever in July. It just continues. We've had floods all through the winter last year. So the the weather is definitely changing. And as gardeners, we just have to be prepared to cope and find ways to work around it. I find... A lot of gardens are struggling with establishment. Establishment isn't so straightforward now. I've got people that I'm talking to that have been gardening longer than I've been alive and I'm trying to teach them about watering. And it and it's very difficult because I think it's one of those techniques that gets very much overlooked. And, oh, you just put a hose on it, don't you? You just soak it. And it's like some plants, you, yes, you can soak, but do you need to soak them? And should we be soaking them? Because it is kind of like, you know, are you just soaking it for what you've always done? I think the other problem is that when you when you start overwatering things, what you can't see is all the nutrients that you're flushing out. So every time you overwater, and that water then drains away into the very deep layers further away from the roots than those roots can reach it, then all you've done is washed away all the soluble nutrients that the plant needs to go on and grow and help establish it. So getting the, the water to the roots but no further is what we've got to try and aim as a target you can get away with overwatering at times but it's not the optimum way to do things there's better ways of doing it and overwatering means that you're either going to lose those nutrients which means the plant's not going to grow well or you're going to end up with not enough oxygen in the soil because you've filled it with water and those roots can't respire they need the oxygen to respire and then grow this time of year is definitely a good time of year to kind of review what you've done in the garden and, and how to improve it for next year, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of people don't, well, they don't think they have room for a water butt or they don't like the look of a water butt. And very often downpipes come off your roof and they're right on the corner of the house where you've got a path going around and there just isn't room to put one. But everybody seems to forget that you can improve your soil to make sure that it catches more rain when it does fall so adding organic matter adding mulch makes a huge difference to the amount of moisture that your soil can hold and um, we're just heading into autumn autumn's coming a bit early this year i think and some of the leaves are already falling they are just perfect for absorbing moisture in your soil leaf mold is my favorite mulch and i think everybody should kind of get ready get their leaf mold bags of the hessian bags and make that beautiful crumbly black leaf mould that shrubs and trees and everything in your garden we just absolutely adore 
The only thing I would say though is something I've realised is that if you've got very fine material like leaf mould that's really well composted, it doesn't always act brilliantly as a mulch if you're putting it over a soil that's got larger particle sizes like sandy soil because what happens is the water tends to stay absorbed in that leaf mold and it won't drain through quite so well into the sandy soil underneath and if it does then it tends to drain really quickly you've got a risk of actually developing those surface roots which is not great for resilience if you have another dry spell so i would suggest that if you've got a large particle leaf mould, so some that hasn't actually rotted down completely and you've still got some leaves showing in there, that probably works better as a mulch and keep the really well composted stuff to actually incorporate into the soil or use as seed compost or in your containers. That would be brilliant. Mulch works really well when you've got really large particle sizes, so things like wood chip that drain really fast and allow the water to go straight through and reach the soil underneath. And then it sort of acts as that capping layer that insulates the roots from the heat of the sun and stops the evaporation from the surface again. We had a lot of plants that were showing nutrient deficiency and that wasn't because there wasn't nutrients in the soil, it was the fact of the lack of water that was there. So they were showing, they were stressed and the people were saying, oh, I've put fertiliser down. But because their soil was so dry and because they hadn't got any organic matter in the soil to moisten the soil, the plants were just really showing like intervenal staining. It was just really strange this year with nutrition deficiency. Yeah, I can understand that. And I think we all talk about keeping roots cool. Roots like to be cool. And I think it's a really complex mixture, isn't it, soil? There is so much going on in your soil. And all those little microorganisms in there, they're actually breaking down that organic matter that you've added that provide those soluble nutrients for the plants to absorb. And like you say, they can't do that unless it's dissolved in water. But equally, that if you've allowed your pots to dry out and get warm, then it's quite possible that some of that microbiology that's going on, some of all the bacteria and the fungi that live in the soil, they're suffering too. And so they're not actually there in sufficient numbers to start providing all the nutrients that they need again. So it's a real complex mixture. And I always try and try and explain that actually when you're watering, you're not just watering the plant. We're actually watering all that ecology that's happening in the soil and keeping all those little microbiology, fungi and bacteria and springtails and all sorts of things that live in the soil that are actually breaking down the organic matter and providing nutrients for your plants. Janet Manning and Becky Mealy. I'm a great water saver. Half the rainfall here in the southeast is extracted and put into pipes. That's an incredible burden on the environment. So I feel it behoves me to use water really, really carefully. For my back garden, it's almost entirely watered with my water butts. I've got five of them. We gardeners love to compete on how many water butts we've got. Well, I've got five and they're all big ones. But even so, they're empty in a month without rain. But I supplement them with captured water from the kitchen where I've been washing veg or even the washing up and water from the bathrooms, the shower, the bath, the sink. And my house being an old one, I can tap into the supply quite easily. And on my very hot, sunny patio, I'd hardly need to use any mains water at all. Sadly, on the allotment, I have to use dip tanks fed by the mains. But here I grow my plants in shallow trenches and I fill those shallow trenches with water every 10 days or so, adding a bit of fertiliser so I'm sure the water goes exactly where it's needed and none is wasted. 
That's it for this week. If you want to find out more about today's topics, then head to rhs.org.uk slash podcast. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Guy Barter. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.